Hi, my name's Sam Breakgate and welcome to Brain Spike Back. In this show, we like to discuss everything relating to psychology, technology, and our society. My guest today might not be a star in the tech industry, but he knows a thing or two about the psychology that is necessary to excel in life, to defy the odds, and come out as a winner. This he has demonstrated in his professional career as a fighter and his entrepreneurial life. He is a UFC Hall of Fame professional fighter and the president of Faber Ventures, the California kid, Uriah Faber. And for our Weird Wide web piece, we have a story about streaming services issuing emergency alerts. And we have a story on research that suggests that Bitcoin's famous 2017 rise was the result of one whale. Hey, you're right. How's it going, man? Good, man. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Where are you? Are you in Sacramento at the moment? I am in Sac at my gym, yes. Nice. What's the, what's the weather like there at the moment? Because I've only been to Sacramento once and that was in the summer and it was wonderful. It's getting cool around here, but uh, today it's like maybe 75. Nice. Yeah, it's a nice day out. I was wondering, what kind of names have you received when people see your name written down and they try and say it out of interest? What kind of names do you get? Oh, other than Uriah? Yeah. Uh, just mostly Uriah because there's a silent J, but that hasn't happened in a very long time. No, I can imagine. I can imagine most people know your name now. <laughs> yeah, somewhere I only ask because my surname's uh, half Venezuelan, half English. So whenever I'm in England, no one can say the Venezuelan part. And now whenever I live in Colombia, whenever I'm in Colombia, no one can say the English part. So I'm always always faced with that. It's a real pain. <laughs> That's funny. For our listeners, which perhaps uh, don't know you for your UFC and your fighting history, would you be able to give us a real quick background on who you are and um, a little bit of your history? So my name is Uriah Faber. I'm uh, also known as the California Kid. That's my fight name moniker and i am a professional mixed martial artist i've been fighting professionally for about 16 years now before that i wrestled in college i got my degree at uc davis and a bachelor of science and own a couple of businesses now that started back out of means when i first started fighting it was illegal in california so there was only fights happening in the indian casinos and the money was really bad so i was selling t-shirts and coaching kids and doing all sorts of stuff to make ends meet so that I could follow a, a passion of, of fighting. And, and since then, the, the world has grown of mixed martial arts, and I stuck with it and made a name for myself as a world champion, a top contender, and I've been inducted in the UFC Hall of Fame. So at this point, I'm just handling business and, and in the fight game. Awesome, man. Awesome. I um, I wanted to ask you, I wanted to touch on your UFC career ever so briefly just before we got into the entrepreneurial side of things. Just, I suppose, more anything because we are a technology like podcast. So some of our listeners may not have an understanding of where you came from in UFC. Your, your history is really interesting. I was listening to your podcast with uh, Cody on, on Joe Rogan the other day and you had 14 first round finishes which is pretty impressive so for those of uh, for the listeners that don't know who you are you retired from fighting in 2016 on your own terms and what motivated you to get back into it back into the octagon and take on 26 year old uh, ricky simon well you know i've been you know a high level athlete most of my life because that's on top of going to school and everything else that's part of my regimen and i got into fighting of course we talked about earlier there's no real opportunity at the time it was illegal in california and, and the money wasn't very good i was it was just about following my passion and 
and I've been pretty laser focused on that. But 40 years old now, when I retired, I think I was 37. Uh, I was having a little bit of trouble getting the excitement that I used to get from it, although I was always paired top notch. And, and there's some things that I want to do in life, like starting a family that I just really hadn't taken time to focus on. And and I knew that I needed to have my brain in the next phase of things and, and I needed to make sure that I could handle myself without the fight career. And, and I did that. And, and the same reason why I got out of the fight game is the same reason why I got in. I started to have a little desire uh, that was creeping in. And I knew that there's a timetable on this thing. And if I don't jump back in when I still am a tip-top athlete, uh, it would be too late. So just jumped back in and, and took about six months to get myself mentally prepared to, to, to get back in the octagon. I had some grappling matches and then parlayed that into a successful return to the octagon against a 26-year-old Ricky Simone who was a, you know, on, a, on a big fight win streak. And that was my hometown. So it was a, it was a, it was a great time and a, and a good decision. Yeah, I can imagine that must have been a great feeling, stepping in and then just like having that kind of like success immediately as you step back in. Obviously, it wouldn't have been easy, but that that was it was impressive and you you mentioned about um becoming a father first of all congratulations that was uh early this year right yeah we're about seven and a half months into that the brand new life of cali rain favor and and she's amazing man so much fun nice nice fantastic that's, that's great to hear um do you think that being a father has changed how you approach the your time in the octagon at all yeah i think so it just it really makes you prioritize things you know there's always a lot of irons in the fire and wearing a lot of hats and so it definitely forces you to pinpoint what is the most important things to work on the things with the most potential the things that you're the most passionate about the things that make the biggest purpose and, and meaning in your life and uh of course the baby takes the cake but uh it definitely makes you more focused not that i've ever had trouble being focused but even to the extra edge has just been it, it has been helpful i can imagine personally i love martial arts i'm a big fan of it i've been doing it the past like 13 years or so although i have not done tournaments because um, my first and only tournament at 19 i got a laceration on my left kidney and I was in hospital for a few days uh, with internal bleeding and peeing blood. Oh my gosh, what kind of tournament? It was a, get this, it was a touch karate tournament. It was supposed to be touch. So I went in there being like, you know what, this is a good tournament to get into, like it's touch, nothing can go wrong. You know what, they just touch me, they score a point. But the guy I went up against, like, I'm not I'm not the biggest like guy, I'm, I'm pretty slim, I'm like tall built, but I'm slim pretty light and the guy I went up against was like easily like had 12 years on me like 30 or something or like 31 much higher belt and he just like pounded like he went way hard they were like almost gonna call it a point man it was <laughs> that put me off so I was like screw this I don't like being inside of hospitals I don't want to be in any more hospital beds so that just put me off so now I train <laughs> but I basically like watch UFC as I'm sure many people do for that vicarious kind of buzz but um, I would, I would, <laughs> that put me off completely, my tournaments. Um, so, so. Man, but, that's crazy. But it, I think it was just unfortunate. Uh, just, yeah, unfortunate circumstances. But it's, it's all good. I still, I still love trading. Um, but moving on from your, your UFC history, I know that you're a committed entrepreneur. At what age did you really discover this passion for entrepreneurship and how did it first present itself? You know, the, the first entrepreneurial bug, I guess, was was again out of means and and uh just trying to feel necessity I, I had taken a job at uc davis as a wrestling coach which does not pay well 
I was just an assistant coach. It was maybe $8,000 a year, which is well below the poverty line. And so uh, I was, again, following my passion, but needed to, to make some extra ends. So I was doing wrestling camps in the summer where I'd go be a counselor. And then during the wrestling season, I would go and I would uh, coach little kids. So I started a company called TLC, Top of the Line Coaching, and would go around after I coached at UC Davis and I would go to the junior highs and high schools in the area and work from there. So I also ran one of our UC Davis wrestling camps through my business, which all of a sudden gave me a lump, some revenue through the, the business, even though I only kept a little bit for what I was going to get paid from my coach. And uh, it established a business for me. And that allowed me to buy a house right before the recession hit when anybody could buy a house because they're doing state income loans. And my buddy's like, oh, I can get you a loan. I'm like, well, I just graduated college. I don't have any money. Oh, it'll be all right. So you know, I bought my first house before I had any money, barely ran a business. And I, and I got my feet wet in the, in the industry. Then I started fighting, started doing clothing, started doing teams and gyms. And, you know, it's stockpiled from there. Nice. Sounds like a snowball. Do you still have that house? Is that still like your little, little baby or did you uh, did you move on from that? Uh, that house will be sold this week. That was, I bought it in 2005. So 14 years later, I'm selling it. Nice. Congratulations. <laughs> Good investment. Thanks. Yeah. So you and on top of that, you're also the president of uh, Faber Ventures. Can you tell us a little bit about the company and what your role there is? So Faber Ventures is just the parent company for all the different things that I have. I have uh, a lot of different things that I've either started or uh, been involved in. So I have, uh, you know, of course, my gym, Uriah Faber's Ultimate Fitness. And then I have two franchise gyms with the UFC, mm-hmm. UFC gym Uriah Faber's in the surrounding Sacramento area. I have a, a bunch of real estate projects from Airbnbs to a commercial building and some residential spots. And then I have my team. And, and so everything kind of falls underneath that. I've got a lot of different companies that I've been a part of on some level not necessarily majority owner like trifecta nutrition i was with them from the early stages which is a massive company at this point and purist labs we have five health bars which are three locations here in the greater sacramento area and you know i've done a lot of different clothing ventures throughout the years i had form athletics and torque and, and alpha male clothing so I've, I've done a lot of different things yeah it sounds like you got your fingers in many pies there yes um <laughs> Do you think, do you have your eyes set on any other kind of ventures? There are any other industries that you'd uh, like to move into? Yeah, so I, I actually started a production company, Faberox Films, a while ago, and I've been learning that business for a long time. And so we, we had our first feature film that we produced and followed through with and, and it was just sold to Lionsgate and Bryanson Entertainment. So that was a one for one on the on the film projects and, and i'd love to get more involved with that for sure cool can you are you able to tell us a little bit about it or is it all hush hush yeah no uh it's it's called green fever and it's about a, a robbery at a at a marijuana farm here in northern california and um it's really well made and, and you know actually one of my fighters andre touchy feely is makes his debut as an actor in the in the film and it's pretty rare to to have a, a low budget film like that get picked up as quickly and by somebody as big as as uh, as Lionsgate. So we're we're pretty uh, we're pretty pumped on that and it's it's exciting for the future. That sounds awesome. When when's it coming out? When can we watch it? We're trying to get it slated for four twenty of next year. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Perfect timing. <laughs> yeah. 
this is like the main for me, which is the main question, which I really love to hear. Is like you have this mentality, obviously, like coming from your background, you're like a strong fighter, and obviously for the octagon, you need like some real tenacity. Entrepreneurship isn't too dissimilar in that sense. You need that tenacity. But what kind of transferable skills have you you found? Like how has your time in the octagon influence your entrepreneurial life or vice versa would you say um i'm not sure about the influence as much as the common traits i would say like Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship is is very difficult i mean people like to think you own a business you have a ton of money but you mostly have a lot of headaches and potential to make a lot of money so there's been plenty of projects that have failed and things that unforeseen trials and tribulations and and that all relates to the fight game it's really rare to be going to a fight where you're actually 100% where you're not nicked up or bruised or, or minor injuries and things haven't always gone perfect and and uh, that's that's the the world of entrepreneurship it's it's about a grind it's about finding a way to make things happen and, and being creative and fixing mistakes and constantly striving towards doing better so uh, at this point uh, the fight game and the entrepreneurial game are, are very very similar and I think the traits from both are common and i can't say whether i've learned one from the other or or vice versa do you think that it's something that like is is in your dna like do you think you've always felt like this kind of like strength to like uh push on and and um succeed in the face of adversity or do you think this is something that you learn yeah i think it's nature and nurture you know i was a human development major in school and and that's like the big debate is are are things you know you born with them or or is it part of the environment and kind of the consensus is, is a combination of both so I would say having strong parents and, and people that love you unconditionally is, is a big step in the right direction. And then uh, building confidence through trial and tribulation of trial by fire, well, hard knocks, you know, going through the going through life lessons and things like that are definitely ways that you cut your teeth. And, and so, you know, for me, it's obviously a combination. I, I feel like I have a strong willpower, of course, but I've, I've met people that have been ruined by their by their environment or somewhat room you know everything's fixable but you have to work really hard to get the confidence that i have from from having great parents and being a guy that succeeded on a bunch of many levels throughout life you know small celebrations so um it's a combination but i would say more environment i would agree no i similar to yourself i studied psychology and that's one of those things which constantly seems to be like a back and forth like um nature versus nurture and i always find that interesting purely from the sake of like just trying to understand it but also if it is a sense of nurture uh, then you can i suppose learn something from the environment that they've grown up in or they've been around or what kind of mentality they've kind of like been able to develop because if something's nature you it's kind of harder to kind of imitate that right. but if it's if it's nurture it's always interesting to like hear like what what generated that my last question to you and this is uh sorry a friend um uh, I'm asking for a friend here. He wanted to know um, how long did it take you to, for you to really recover from the beating that your leg took from Jose Aldo? Oh man! I know you use a uh, cryo, you use cryogenic. Is it cryogenic um, chambers or whatever it is? Did that help or hyper hyperbaric? Hyperbaric. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that was a long process, man. I mean, that was like getting hit with a bat for like 20 minutes straight, and uh, it was it was pretty uh, pretty intense. I think you know the initial swelling. It took probably about three to four weeks to uh, completely subside and the bruising to go away and all that kind of stuff. And then after that, there's some atrophy from the muscle and and then uh, probably a couple of months after that. But man, that, that was some serious pain, dude. That was like, that's all soft tissue. There's no permanent damage. It was all soft tissue. So 
that, that was, uh, you know, another lesson in adversity. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> At least you got um, the, the Medal of Honor to prove it as well. I've seen those photos. Exactly. It's painful. <laughs> yeah, those are nasty. Those are pretty much all my questions. But honestly, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. I love UFC. And honestly, the next time I see you fighting, I'm going to be cheering you on. And uh, yeah, it, it's been really great. If people do want to follow you, our listeners, like, how what's the best way to follow you? You got social media or a website or? Yeah, yeah. it's just it's just Uriah Faber on Instagram. Awesome. And uh, and I think that's on Twitter and Facebook and everything else. Fantastic. That's it, my man. Excellent. Cheers so much, Uriah. Have a great day, and it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Likewise, brother. Have a great one. Weird Wide Web. According to Gizmodo, streaming services like Netflix, Disney Plus, and Spotify might be required to issue emergency alerts from the government if a new law is passed by U.S. lawmakers. As it stands, TV and radio stations operating in the U.S. are required by law to issue emergency warnings, like the infamous fake missile alert for Hawaii issued in early 2018. But lawmakers want to bring those alerts to more platforms, as viewers use a growing number of internet-based services. The legislation, dubbed the Reliable Emergency Alert District, Distribution Improvement Act, or REAIDI for short, has bipartisan support. Well, let's see if a missile alert is enough to stop the most binge-worthy TV shows on Netflix, because I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have been able to stop me from devouring Top Boy. CryptoVest reports that according to a new paper looking at data from the biggest Bitcoin rally in history, the famous 2017 rally that pushed the price of Bitcoin to over $19,000 was the result of one whale. This is according to Professor John Griffin of the University of Texas and Amin Shams of Ohio State University. Our results suggest instead of thousands of investors moving the price of Bitcoin, it's just one large one, Griffin said. If you don't know what a crypto whale is, it's a term frequently used to describe the big money Bitcoin players that show their hand in the Bitcoin market. And for all the hodlers out there, let's hope the whale makes another appearance soon. That is our show. Thank you so much for listening. As always, it's been a pleasure. You can follow us on Spotify, iTunes, and on sociable.co or subscribe to us on YouTube to always stay up to date. Have a great day. Bye.